welcome to Regeneration Studio. I'm Katerina and this is another journey into creative business ideas and how they transform individuals and communities. We love to ask people, what is your favorite drink? In the old days, we probably didn't have that much choice. It was largely dependent on geography and culture. Nowadays, however, everything has become a craft. Gin, wine, vodka, beer, coffee, tea. And our choices are endless as the range of possible flavors expanded. A characteristic vibe for each drink started developing. So the more everything became a craft, the more definition it gave to the people drinking it. My guest in this episode is Nick Smith, founder of the highly successful craft beer brewery, Steam Machine Brewing Co., where choice gets redefined. Diving straight into Nick's journey from teaching science in the Channel Islands to opening up his own brewery with wife Gulan in the northeastern town of Newton Aycliffe, we'll be exploring the alluring world of beer. In particular, we'll consider what it looks like from the brewmaster's point of view and try and puzzle out why Steam Machine Brewery has doubled their production capacity on a yearly basis since starting in 2015. Straight after examining the key to spectacular growth, part three explores surviving when the going gets tough and the question of how important is going wholesale and making increasingly larger margins of profit versus using that same energy to create a community of beer lovers and memories, fueled by unbelievably good beer, of course, which will be more deeply felt than wealth. Oh, and what does meeting the entrepreneur guard Richard Branson on a train have to do with it anyway? Here it is, my conversation with Nick Smith about beer and other stuff. Welcome to the show, Nick. Thank you very much. Now, my favourite question, and people love doing this one, to give our listeners an idea of who you are, imagine there is a film soon to be released called The Steam Machine Brewing Co., or you can rephrase the title however you like. Can you briefly introduce yourself in the style of a film trailer? Can I start it in a world gone mad? Of course you can. You can do whatever you like. Great. (laughs) In a world gone mad. Beer made by people for people. Lots of different beer for lots of different people. That's about it. (laughs) At least there's something you're leaving to the imagination there. Part one. The origins of steam machine magic. So you and your wife found Steam Machine Brewing in 2015 with the aim of brewing beer in the styles that you like. And it has grown considerably since then, doubling its capacity almost on a yearly basis. Now, let's take that a step back. What did you originally envision for your life? Did you imagine that it was going to be this world of beer? Not really, if I'm honest, but you know, um, I've always loved adventure. Mm-hmm. And um, I've always loved to travel around. I've always loved meeting people. Um, and having your own business is is truly an adventure. So I don't know what I envisage for my life. I, I think when I was younger, it was probably something working outdoors, or some, something sciencey, but something creative as well. So, you know, whilst I don't have that much of an outdoor element to this job, 
it fulfills all the other criteria of the things that I love. What do you love? I love I love science. I love being creative. I love getting messy. I love talking to people. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whilst I was younger, I, I didn't love beer. My love of beer grew from university as a hobby. Home brewing became more than just a hobby. It was a hobby that got out of control, a real passion for world beers, the history of beers. And it's something that we absolutely live and breathe every day. Okay, so that's quite interesting. So as a, say, a younger Nick you didn't your favorite drink wasn't necessarily beer but then you got kind of into the whole brewing thing and then started discovering all of the intricacies of yeah the I, different styles i only drink water really and the occasional cup of tea um so right. beer at university you know when you start drinking beer as a, as a young adult mm-hmm. i i just yeah i really took to it i just thought this is great it's like especially when it's produced with natural products and in its and there's a story behind it. If it, if it's not about making money, but if there's something there, if it's a tradition or if there's a story or anything like that, I think that captivates my imagination. Okay, that's great. So it's a, the kind of like the difference between the big companies, the big names that we all know, and then the smaller ones like yourself, and then other p- people doing similar kind of things. Definitely. Yes. So what did you do before you set up the Steam Machine Brewing Co? So. I studied environmental chemistry and from that I went into teaching science, um, mainly chemistry but all sciences. And I lived in the Channel Islands where I taught for a lot of the time. Did you enjoy that? I did, I loved it. I made you know the best friends of my life over there, had mm-hmm. wonderful times, wonderful students. It was a very beautiful place. Okay. Um, I met my wife there. Like I said, we, we spent some time travelling together as well. Mm-hmm. And we decided that we didn't want to we wanted that alternative lifestyle we wanted to do something that was different where you'd be holding no one but yourself really I think that's the wonderful thing of having your own business is that freedom to do that okay and um I mean I've heard great things about the Channel Islands so do you think did you enjoy teaching that it was that like a fulfilling career but you wanted a kind of a different lifestyle I did you you know I, I think I enjoyed it more at the time than looking back I, I thought I, I loved my job, but there was still there was still a lot of stress aspect to it, and there was a lot of unnecessary paperwork and targets. And the teaching profession has changed profoundly since I started, especially in the UK rather than the Channel Islands, where you know all of, pretty much education has been privatised as independent academies, where you're beholden to targets and things like that, things which are beyond your control, more business driven, yeah. instead of putting children's well welfare at yeah. the forefront. I know. I just uh, recently, fairly recently, came out of teaching, so I know all about it. Ah, uh, <laughs> yes. Well, so you started, uh, obviously, your your brewing business. Now, starting a business is no easy task, especially not in the food and in drink industry. And this year has kind of like been a very, very tough year for hospitality in general. So the food and in drink industry is largely dependent on the tastes of the area where you set what made you decide to take the risk? So honestly, it never felt like a risk at the time. It, to everyone we spoke to, it sounded risky. Everyone, you know, we took advice from, all their advice was not to do it, don't do it. You're crazy, you've got a career. Get yourself a mortgage, blah, 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 blah. It's exactly blah. what people were telling me. <laughs> yes. What is a podcast? Why do you want to do that? Stick and teaching. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> um, but the, the thing is that, you know, like, when we were testing up, there wasn't many 
of what we would t- um, call modern craft breweries at the time. There was only a handful around the whole of and the UK. And that's 2015 or a little bit before then? Yeah, so we, we were planning from about 2012, 2013. We were seeing in the UK scene, there was, there was a few breweries mainly around... Um, inner city locations like London, mm-hmm. very London centric. Oh, yeah. There were some more traditional breweries who were kind of diversifying and saying, "Hang on a minute, what's happening down there is a bit different. Mm-hmm. Let's diversify into that." Mm-hmm. Um, and some breweries did that very successfully, like Wylam up in Newcastle. Yeah. But as a whole, it was it was a very it was an emerging industry. But beer has been the most popular alcoholic drink in the world since ancient Mesopotamia. So it, it, I just learned something. <laughs> so it, it never seemed like. A risk yeah. at the time you know it, it's it is the drink of the people it's it's far more popular than wine around the world and so we we knew we were going to make good beer and we knew we were going to make different beer and we never set out to make we want some of our beers to be challenging to people's mm-hmm. taste buds but we always want someone to be able to find something to be able to drink and quaff and enjoy so we want there to be something for everybody so because Can you mention, just to put this in perspective, a challenging beer? Yeah, so we have we have some of our beers have undergo wild fermentation, so okay. we will either allow the, the natural yeast and bacteria from the Aircliff mm. air to inoculate mm. and to ferment and, and do its crazy thing and leave it mm-hmm. for a while. Um, you know, sometimes up to like a year or two, and it will develop complex, rich flavors in the style of like Belgian lambic beers. So, you know, these can be well, that's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, it's it's you know it's completely unique, and yeah. it, they have like a bit of a, a kind of cult following to people who love it. It, it appeals to like the scrumpy cider drinkers as well. So, you know, if someone comes in and say, "I don't like beer. I only like oh. hard scrumpy cider," you give them something like that, and all of a sudden, like, my God, I didn't even know beer could taste like that. Yeah, I might have to try that to be honest. More than welcome to. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, um, so just uh, back, you didn't feel it like it was a risk then and no. because beer is like the coffee of the alcoholic beverage world kind yes. of thing, yes. Yeah, we were just going to do it in a different way and we we didn't have that much money anyway, so it wasn't mm-hmm. much of a risk. It was everything we had, but it, not that much. Can I ask what your wife was doing at the time? Um, so she was flitting between a few different jobs mm-hmm. in the Channel Islands, even though she's highly educated she got into university in istanbul as uh on a, a on a very difficult scholarship to get in like over hundreds of thousands of people she did like sports science in a very different way than it would be done in the uk almost oh. they were training them to be look after like olympic teams and that kind of thing so she became like a private fitness instructor for turkish celebrities and ran a fitness studio in istanbul a very busy fitness studio so she went from that she just decided she wanted to learn english so she moved to England as an au pair. Mm-hmm. And and then after our marriage, we, because English is a second language, she found it very difficult. You're almost treated as a second-class citizen. Right. And and that's one thing about the Channel Islands, actually. If you're not from the Channel Islands, you're a second-class citizen anyway. If you're not from the Channel Islands and you're not English, then you're almost like a third-class citizen. So right. she, okay. she was on minimum wage yeah. working in restaurants, hotels, um, old people's homes on... Mm-hmm you know, on, on minimum wage, as it were. So we moved back here specifically so that we could do something together mm-hmm. creatively mm-hmm. that wasn't on minimum wage and working for other people. Yes, yes, I totally get that. And then I take it she she likes beer as well, she, the process of it. Or... She does. On one of our first dates, she tried one of my um, one of my homemade beers and she was like, you make beer? And and I was like, yeah. And she was like, that's, 
that's I didn't know people could make beer. I thought it was done in factories, and you know, it's because they don't have, even though where she comes from originally in the far east of Turkey, they have all kinds of like wild fermented breads. So they bake them in blocks mm. on roofs, and they you know they pickle things and all sorts of th- and everything is preserved and. They, they just don't have that alcohol culture in oh. the, the middle of nowhere. So it was to, to be able to home make wine very and beer very mm-hmm. much appealed to her roots of all that, but it was just something she'd never come across. Okay. Yeah. Yes, it's surprising how I actually get the same question a lot because I've always just been interested in like the process of brewing, well, whether it's wine or whatever, anything really, making your own gin, vodka, beer. Um, never done it myself, but in the process that you can actually do that. It so, is fascinating. Yeah. How confident were you that your product would appeal to people in the northeast and Yorkshire region? This might now seem like a very silly question, but <laughs> I don't. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I, th- I think we just set out to make good beer. And, okay, and so you didn't think like what do you, what do the people in the northeast like to drink? No, I think I, I'm, I'm a big believer in not asking your customers what they want because they don't oh, know no. until you give it to them i think a lot of like the i don't know these advice sites for entrepreneurs would be going like no that's not I, how you go about i this. know but people don't know what they want until no. you, you provide it with them exactly and then they're like they don't know. why don't why didn't i have this in my life yeah. if if we've been if i'd done that people would be saying that i would have talked to traditional beer drinkers and they'd mm-hmm. have said i want a pint of cask english bitter yeah. or i want a a macro produced lager and that's not the things we were trying to do we were trying to open up their taste buds to different experiences and i think you know how were we confident to appeal to people in northeast i'm not sure i think because craft beer as it was was so new i think we were mainly aiming for that high-end customer who was going to visit artisan independent bottle shops and most of our sales originally um weren't even on our doorstep they were to specialist shops up and down the country and we were shipping them out via port so you started doing that right from the start yes didn't even like bother to just like focus on the one area you just said well we're going to be now yeah yeah okay part two innovating tradition now we've mentioned already your beers have grown in popularity really really grown throughout the UK and are being shipped to countries like France and Spain as well now. In the business world, success is often said to be down to chance. Your success is linked to your beer. You specialize in coming up with daring flavors and you can go into those daring flavors a little bit later on while using natural ingredients and you can go into that as well. What that means, what does natural ingredients mean? So you offer different styles of beer. What is the traditional view, if we take it, maybe going back to what people would just generally think of as beer? I think when you, when you talked about in your introduction that um, drinking cultures grew up around based on the resources of an area mm-hmm. and what's available, it, it, it's, it's absolutely right. You know, different regions of the world have different beer styles that is just, and that's the way we do it and that's the way we've always done it. And innovation quite often doesn't come hand in hand with tradition. So the traditional view on beer was quite often held when when I was a a young gentleman drinking beer and being led astray in pubs, was that the the campaign for Real Ale camera were the guardians of of good beer. And that was it. Yes, I'm going to stop you there because this is probably something a lot of people would have seen, but nobody maybe or few people understand what does Real Ale mean. So... 
Real Ale is, in a nutshell, a manufacturing guideline which states if you take your beer, regardless of quality, and you put that beer into a cask, which is like a keg, but it holds less carbonation. It's a traditional barrel, these days usually made of metal, um, and allow it to undergo secondary fermentation in the cask, which means that it carbonates naturally, mm-hmm. and that's how it gets its light sparkle or the, the foamy mm-hmm. head, and um, that is real ale. Mm-hmm. So that the the reason that there's quite often a clash between real ale and craft beer is because a macro producer, such as like Marston, such as John Smiths and stuff like that, mm-hmm. produce real ales because they put that beer into a cask, allow it to undergo secondary fermentation. But that's not a mark of quality. That's not a mark of time taken, premium ingredients. You know the the love and effort that you okay. put into it. Whereas craft beer, pretty much relates to independence producing beer and serving it however we like so we quite often serve beer directly from a tank or from a can or from a keg or from a bottle you know we it's up to us we 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 don't get held back by the receptacle that it's in okay i didn't actually know that difference i for whatever reason i just kind of like thought they was same thing yeah so i think it it can be so i would argue that you know most real ale if it's produced by an artisan producer such as you know, we've, we've, our friends at Durham Brewery, just around the corner, or mm-hmm. three brothers over in Stockton, uh, um, you know, and Brinkburn Street up in Newcastle, all exceptional independent breweries that produce excellent beer and mainly put their beer into cask. And it's beautiful, wonderful beer, I would argue, mm-hmm. and say that is 100% craft beer because right. they are small producers. Yes. So how is your view different? I think, I think our view, like I was saying, that, and now you can go into those crazy flavours <laughs> and the natural ingredients. <laughs> yeah, so the traditional beer scene will quite often fine the beer, which means adding something to it to make it clear. And quite often this is done using isinglass, which is the swim bladder of a sturgeon fish, which I think is a bit weird. Did you just make that up? <laughs> no, it sounds bizarre, doesn't it? I do wonder who first thought of that, the like... I've got a hazy pint of beer. You know what we should put in here? <laughs> the swim bladder of how a sturgeon of fish. The, how many of the beers did they have before? Uh, I know. <laughs> so it kind of, it has like a charge. So the sediment has, yeah. I can't remember which way it is, but the sediment has one charge and the isinglass has another charge and it sticks to the sediment and the sediment drops out. Mm-hmm. And that's why when, you know, traditional beer lovers in the cask, if you get a pint of hazy beer, you're quite often getting the dregs from the bottom of the cask. Mm-hmm. And that means that you're drinking the the dead yeast cells and also the dead fish swim blood. Oh, thank you for, for sharing that. But we don't do that. So we all of our beers are unfiltered, unfined, okay, um, un- unpasteurised. And um, and that's when we started, that wasn't very common. I could mm-hmm. I can only think of a couple of breweries in the whole of the UK that were doing it. It's far more accepted now that not to filter your beer, not to pasteurise your beer, not to add those findings to it. So I, you, are, are you adding the... The fishy bits no, we don't. Not <laughs> okay. at all. We we keep our beer. If if our beer is clear, it's not yes. by design. It's usually by accident. Oh right. And because the thing is, we use like premium ingredients. You know, at the base of mm-hmm. any good beer, you have really good malt. You have really good um, hops. You have really good yeast. Um, and those are your three ingredients for for any for any beer. So if you start with those good ingredients that add subtle flavors and you know. 
it could be a biscuity note, it could be a caramel, it could be something like a tropical mango hint from one of the hops. The yeast can produce banana notes and all of this. And yeah. then I think it's a bit weird that you would then add something to take away that flavour. Okay, and this is what's happening and, yeah. to some of the other... Uh, and that's that's what traditionally yeah. is done to beer. They take okay. they strip the flavour out. It's like making a delicious soup and then passing it through a sieve. Yes, almost. and then... Because to me, the... I don't know how to phrase this. The popular beers, they, they tend to taste more or less the same. Yes, and it's because... It's a very little definition between them, and I actually just don't drink them, to be honest. So um, I, th- I think that's that's another way where we differ. Yeah, that will be part of that filtration yes. process. Okay. But it's also because a lot of breweries and traditional breweries rely on subtle nuance mm-hmm. in difference. I, okay. I don't believe in subtle nuance. I mean, not as in that I know it doesn't exist. Like, I mean, that... Yeah. I don't want to present you with five beers and you think, well, that one just tastes the same as that one. Have you just tweaked that? Is that Why is that one yeah. the same? I want every beer that you try of ours to go, wow, that's completely different. That's a flavour explosion mm-hmm. in my mouth of different flavours. So, yeah. you know, as well as on top of those base ingredients, that's why in some of our beers, you know, we uh, one of our first ever commercial beers um, used a beautiful loose leaf Earl Grey tea with cornflowers. I saw that i don't know where i saw it but i I maybe just read it and i was like this is like one of the best beers ever and i've never even tasted it earl grey beer it came about because in america it became very popular to put coffee in beer and coffee in the stouts and porters and you know that's that's taken root over here as well but Mm -hmm. i don't drink coffee so i've wanted to kind of like a british answer to the yes we we all have tea (laughs) i think it's a brilliant one because i love tea i love coffee too but i love tea as well so well, yeah you can try some directly from the tanks we've I've brought got... it back after three oh, years oh, really? it's coming back it's coming this weekend like i have to try this so and by um, the way sorry. i have a challenge for you and it, then you can go on can you make a matcha beer uh, well <clears throat> is that that's green tea isn't it yes, it's like powdered green yes. tea so um i have home brewed a couple of times with green tea mm-hmm. um and the thing about green tea i, I think it would work well in something really dry and bitter and resinous like okay. a, like a west coast right. um ipa because the the green tea actually helps that along it it provides sort of similar notes to certain hop varietals okay. so yeah absolutely you could do that cool let me know <laughs> all right uh going on um so yeah we, we pair other kind of wacky ingredients like fruit and things like yeah. that and you know they just add they add a different level to the drinking experience. Mm-hmm. So, and what it means is that you get completely diverse flavors and more accessible flavors. That there's always a beer for everyone on the bar. It doesn't yes. matter if they're into fruity ciders. It doesn't matter if they're into wines or, mm-hmm. you know, coffees or teas. You know, there's something on the bar that will appeal to, to their their senses. That's quite fascinating because I'm not entirely sure if you can have the same kind of appeal with wine. To be honest, because wine is just it is in that subtle differences, isn't it? So we've 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 experimented with using grapes in fermentation and using oh. wine yeast. So a lot of um, the flavour of wine comes from the expressive notes from the wine yeast. Yeah. So we've we produced one a few years ago. It was very popular called Twelve Month Road Trip, and it mm-hmm. was inspired by visiting vineyards around Australia and New Zealand. And some of the hops that we use, such as Halatau Blanc and Nelson Salvin, are known for giving like flavors of like and aromas of like Riesling or Chardonnay and things like that. We- this is getting even better beer that tastes like wine. Yeah. <laughs> right, fascinating. Has chance played a role in your initial success? <laughs> I, I 
if you speak to my sisters, they will say that I was born under a lucky star, and everything I do, it, they, they 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 look at me from the outside and they think that. I just my life just falls into place, and they say he's done that. I can't believe everybody he's... wants to be Nick. <laughs> and it, it's, it, it's honestly, it's not like that. It's like it's, it's hard work. It's hard work, and yeah. you know, it, it's it's you've got to live it. Like, mm. and it's like the, the the knowledge to be able to do this knowledge and experience didn't come overnight. To be able to just oh, we'll start a craft brewery. You know, it was yeah. it was hard work that went into hobbies like stuff that I enjoyed but the, the hours and hours and hours of research you know if I was being paid for that before I set up the company I'd be rich by now <laughs> that's so. true because I think people wish to see the outside product like the the thing that's now public yes instead of seeing what went on before and that's you, you could be talking about years and years and years of something developing an idea or whatever it was absolutely would you say there was anything in particular that perhaps you you were lucky in in that initial just setting things up or getting things off the ground did, I mean, did you, is it all self-funded or so we we invested i think initially we we had about fifteen thousand pounds of our own money and mm-hmm. we got a, a startup loan to that was obviously to be paid back um mm-hmm. from virgin startups as well so we have thirty thousand pounds to start a business with um that didn't pay us for the first year um, so we were living off beans on toast and stuff like that. Um, but this is the part that people don't see. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> yeah, I still haven't bought any new clothes in like five years. So <laughs> you're just so busy. <laughs> it's just, I don't like shopping anywhere. <laughs> yeah, well, who needs new clothes? <laughs> yeah, and then this is something I read. So you can put it right because in the the article I read, it's it basically made it sound like you met Richard Branson on a train and. He, he was really impressed and decided to give you the loan, but I think it, it just worked a little bit differently. So if you could just explain how that worked. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a better story, to be honest. I think we should just pretend it happened <laughs> shall, like shall we stick to that one? <laughs> so what, what happened was um, when, when we got the Virgin Startup loan, I think they timed it, the, the Virgin Startup team, for the sake of newspaper articles, for television and things like that, as mm-hmm. if we were the 300th loan that they gave out to help a new business. And I think from a media perspective and story writing perspective, young couple leaves profession to follow dream of opening craft brewery, new industry. I think that yeah. sounds more exciting than, you know, possibly funding an independent window cleaner, which is no less of an exciting journey. Mm-hmm. But I think when it comes to newsworthy stories, I think, you know, if they have like pictures of shiny vessels and I don't know, someone with long hair, an, an exotic lady and a, a beer in hand, it kind of yeah. like stops the, the article. Yeah, exactly, so so exactly. the, the prize for being the 300 was <laughs> um, to get up on stage. Uh, Richard Branson gave a conference with uh, Brian Suter, who owns Stagecoach. And mm-hmm. at the time, it was a bright new shiny future because the two of them had just purchased the Northeastern line. Okay. Yeah, yes. which didn't work out for them very well, unfortunately, because uh-huh. yeah. that was then re nationalized by and uh, became Elena Yar. Okay. But at the time they were going down they were traveling they gave a big conference in Newcastle uh, University mm-hmm. or just next to it and then we we had to get up on stage there was a couple of other entrepreneurs we had to smile and wave and you didn't even meet him on a train. No, so we got, got up on stage and then we were shipped in like a black car to the train station where we had to wait for him to arrive in another black car. And then we were bundled onto a train opposite him between Newcastle and York. Oh, really? And then, so we spent the train journey from Newcastle to York, sat at a table having nice posh sandwiches. And okay. basically, he just said, What's your business idea? And um, 
I think I think the only thing he really asked me was like, "What is an IPA?" And I was like, "What did you say?" I said, "Oh, it's a, uh, Indian I just, and pale ale." Yeah, I just gave him a brief like I just gave yeah. him like a two two or three sentence kind of history of it, and he went, yeah. "Oh, right." And and that was pretty much it. it was okay. you know, it was good. It, did it change it, your life? I, I wouldn't say it changed my life. You know, I'm more of a socialist anyway. So when it comes to outright capitalism and begging for buyouts, I'm not sure I. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure it's something I really want to be associated with. But you know, it was a bit of fun, and it gave us media attention. Any media attention, especially when you're a young business, is is real. Yeah. It's great. Yeah, yeah, it helps a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. So I think we have established this part. You brew craft beer. Yes, established. (laughs) And although the surge in popularity of craft beer in the UK has taken place over the last decade or so, I might be wrong on that, but it's not. No, that's that's exactly right. All right, cool. Um, Traditional artisanal brewing has existed in Europe for a very long time. So this is now in countries like Belgium and so on. How would you define craft beer? So we've gone from the traditional view of beer to how you do it. Now, how does this fit in with the what's seen as craft beer? I think, like I said before, I think people do just see it as as artisan beer, as locally made artisan beer. Because some people would just go like, okay, you drink craft beer, you like, I I don't know, elitist or something. But I don't really think that's what it comes down to. I don't think so either. I mean, we, you know, we're, we're sat in our very busy tap room that you know on an evening is a bustling place where hundreds yeah. of people come i would say the majority of those people aren't interested in craft beer mm-hmm. they, they want a good experience and they want a good beer yeah and i think a lot of people if you they say craft beer they probably just think it's like having daft cartoony artwork on a can yeah, exactly like all <laughs> weird names that you would never give to beers or something like that yes yes and i think it's it's interesting you know to talk about where craft brewing is going because mm-hmm. like when when i was younger and drinking um i'm not old by the way i keep saying when i was younger i'm, not, I'm only <laughs> no, like 35 i make you sound quite old as well i'm sorry <laughs> but, but um like the the choices were you've got a cask of english bitter sometimes if you were very lucky you could get a cask of stout like around usually around christmas or you had macro lager or if you were in if you were in like um a, a posh pub you may if you were lucky find a couple of belgian bottles and mm. um, so your your options really were, were were pretty poor and now what we've got is we've got breweries like us who look at for inspiration from around the world from the traditional brewing that happens in in belgium from the rich histories what's happening in america and because british beer was pretty much decimated from World War One and Two. I mean, there, there were greater tragedies that happened in World War One and Two, but British brewing was a casualty as well. And okay. um, the the strengths of the beers were reduced, the mm. the the enforced rationing, and it never really recovered. So English beer remained three four percent, and that was an English bitter, oh, and that right. was one style. So what what the Americans did was they looked, they reopened their recipe books in the last thirty years, mm-hmm. after their prohibition period and after independent brewing had yeah. ceased yeah. and they looked back at their recipe books from pre-prohibition and went oh we should brew this ipa that's like eight nine percent oh, right this and, is really interesting yeah so they kind of like brought that back to the forefront of brewing and people went oh wow that's what an ipa is meant to taste like because the americans preserved it in their recipe book, yeah. books which is good um, is this why you like you say that you go back to original recipes basically yes okay yeah, there's there's a lot to be taken from from historical brewing recipes. Mm-hmm. You know, 
we've just brewed a, a golden imperial mild, which people will think you can't have a golden mild, you can't have an imperial mild. They'll think that is a mm. complete oxymoron. But you know, we base it on three recipes from 1840 to 1860, so there it is a thing. <laughs> there we go. Um, but I think now, I think there is a danger in the craft beer industry that we are almost stepping backwards so we've seen a massive rise in the popularity of a style called a new england ipa that grew up in in america and it's the hazy yellow oat filled juicy ipas and they Mm. are now the most common ipas in britain but you have breweries that just solely make this as a style and for me that's a step backwards that's the same as when i was younger and you could only get an english bitter well Mm -hmm. now you step into some brewery tap rooms and bars and All you can get is a New England IPA, and I think I think there is a danger of slipping into into being a, a one-trick pony, a one-trick industry. Oh, right, I see. Um, yes. Compared to where we want to explore the the beer history as a whole, the beer choice as a whole. Okay. And there are other breweries doing doing what we do, but you know I don't know many that you could go to their tap room and find fifteen different styles of beer available on draft different and that's what you do and that, that's yes. what we do and that's okay. what i think sets right. us apart and then just on that because we're talking about your beers now and this the selection and so forth and we are going to go into well the second lockdown do you, what kind of online offerings do you have oh absolutely also so during the first lockdown our 440 mil cans were decimated so we've been trying to rebuild that in-house since recovering from the first lockdown and you know trying to keep up with all the changes that are happening mm-hmm. But what I will say is that we're we're set to release more or less within the next three weeks going forward until Christmas a, a new 440 mil can every single week. So there'll be a new special release every single week. On top of that, we've been... Going, How do you keep up with all of this? I, I don't know. Just sleep less. <laughs> <laughs> sleep less. On top of that, we, we've, we've revisited our... like toast and beans. <laughs> uh, I, I love toast and beans. It's great. I love it too. Like, I don't even know why we're, we're making it as if it's not like... <laughs> it's just best food. Yeah, and it's so quick. With a poached egg as well. Oh, eggs. <laughs> um, we're, we're also revisiting our some of our five most popular beers from right. the past... Uh, sorry, six most popular beers from the past five years um, and re- re-releasing them as a special gift pack for Christmas. And we're only doing 300 Ooh. of them, so it's like first come, first serve. Yeah. Exclusive. Uh, exclusive. Yeah. So we're hoping to have those out by the end of November. Um, and we also sell our naughty, great big wax dip sharing bottles that are designed to be cellared, um, imperial beers, so, you know, barrel age beers, that kind of thing. So there's there's a real mix on the website. Should be something for everyone. Yeah, it's really awesome. I have to say, I'm like getting so excited now about Christmas. <laughs> right. Um, in what way has the craft beer world changed for the better and for the worst in light of everything you've said? up to now i think people now care where the beer comes from okay i think people care that if it comes from an independent producer they're far more switched onto that and we have seen the rise in tap rooms such as ours i think for the better um where you have a busy thriving community hub somewhere you can go for a beer and what we're almost reproducing in these circumstances i don't think the drinking culture and the, the social hub aspect of our brewery is any different than a really good pub would have been 10, 15 years ago. I think what we've seen happening to good pubs is they've been turned into generic restaurants with microwave steaks yes. and you know with a play area on the side and it's a sterile, awful experience to be in one. I'd rather stay at home and not drink mm-hmm. and not have a microwave steak. Yes. Um, 
But so beans I, on toast. Yeah, I'll, I'll have my beans on toast and a glass of water. Um, you can start a cookbook. Now. <laughs> I do love cooking, and and I think so. That's the big positive is having almost replacing that traditional pub scene and giving them something akin to that, giving people an experience that they might might not have had. As silly as it sounds, as pubs have been disappearing mm-hmm. and rubbish pubs have been disappearing. Yeah. I think the way that it's changed for the worse is like I said about I think there is the danger like I said before of slipping into having a reduction in choice and I think any any time you reduce choice is is a is a poor is a poor thing yes I mean I think there is a balance to it as long as the the choices you offer they're real choices they're like they're still the natural and good quality and so forth yes yes exactly and it's very true about what you're saying about like the pub world I mean for someone who's obviously not grown up in England I love the pub culture, but there's also a lot to it that it's sometimes you just don't go into one because they're all, you never know what you're going to get. Yes, kind exactly. Of thing, yeah. Yeah. And then just before we go on to part three on becoming brewmasters and professional drinkers, can you elaborate on your brewing process? Yeah. So, I mean, we... Tell us where the magic happens or how the magic happens. So we, we, we're sat just opposite the, the brewing equipment, actually. If you, if you know, through the window behind oh. us, you can see the all the brewing equipment oh, that your podcast listeners will have to imagine. But we, we start with the best ingredients possible. And that's really important to us. You know, the people do can skimp on quality of ingredients or they'll, they'll choose to use expensive New Zealand hops over good quality malt. We believe in you. British malt is the best malt in the world, and that's not being biased. It just is. You know, mm. we have the best malt growing regions. We have the best conditions for winter barley, which keeps nitrogen levels low. And what Britain has given to the world of brewing throughout its tradition is something called single infusion brewing. And I don't want to go too much into the science, but basically, you start with malted barley, and you add hot water to it. And that's mm-hmm. to extract the sugars and the colour and the flavour from that malt, which will then become the fermentable product that is alcohol. Um, the same as in wine, it's the sugar from the grapes. Cider, it's the sugar from the apples. So what used to happen in the old days, especially in Germany and Belgium, they would have to do step mashes. They would have to heat up that grain because it was inferior malt to different temperatures. They'd have to do a protein rest. They'd have to, to extract different enzymes at different times to extract the best from the malt. Now, because British malt is better, mm. we can do, just do that in one straight-up go. We don't need to faff around with different temperatures. So generally speaking, we mash in, depending upon what beer, at 66.7 degrees Celsius up to 70 degrees Celsius, depending upon the style. And um, we let that all be a mixture of malts, of wheat, oats, depending upon the beer. And that's where all the colour from the beer comes from as well. So if it's a stout, you know, you use like sometimes like four percent of a roasted barley or four percent of like a malt that's been killed for longer so you get like chocolatey and coffee flavors from the malt Hmm. and if it's been if it's been killed at a certain temperature it'll it'll crystallize and almost form like toffee and caramel flavors so there's a real complexity to it Mm -hmm. so we choose those ingredients we mash in with that malt and then the sugary liquid that comes from that we recirculate back on top of the malt so it acts like it's on filter bed and as it percolates through you get you get a clearer liquid with less tannins from the malt we then transfer that to what is traditionally called the copper but because 
I learned to brew from American homebrew farm, so I call it the kettle. Much to traditional brewers in Britain's disdain. Like, mm. what are you calling it a kettle for? It's a copper. And I'm like, well, so, mine's not made of copper. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then that's boiled in there, usually for 60 minutes. And to that, you add different hops at different times, depending upon... So general rule of thumb, earlier in the process you add the hops, the more bitter the beer is going to be. Okay. The later you add the hops, the more aromatic and fruity qualities or piney or resinous qualities you're going to extract from the hops. And you vary this in yeah. whatever you want to create, basically. Exactly. Yes. So it's like the great science experiment. The, mm-hmm. the, 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 you know, the, the variables of the yes. brewing, of the malt, of the hops anything we do is so so great is it's it's crazy the amount of variables after that we chill the, that liquid down mm-hmm. put it into a fermentation vessel which is a sterile environment and we pitch the yeast and that's again a choice of ours what yeast do we want to use what do we want to express from that yeast do we want to leave some sweetness behind do we want it to be dry do we want to accentuate the fruity qualities of the beer do we want to add spicy or earthy tones from the yeast yeah. And, and then we allow it to ferment. And, and again, we choose the temperature that happens at, and the temperature mm-hmm. will dictate different flavours. And then finally, anything we do after that process, like you might have seen on the back of IPAs, dry hopping. Mm-hmm. And dry hopping is basically you add hops to the beer there and then once it's nearly finished and allow it to sit for a few days and you will extract different flavours than you would on the hot side. And it's at that time as well that you we sometimes choose to add fruit or other things to the beer to change its flavour. And is this now actual fruit that you're adding? Yes, we, yeah. we only use like 100% like natural ingredients. So we, if, if we say something's made of lychees, it's made of lychees. You know, we, and I think that's what sets us apart from other people as well. We don't use yeah. artificial flavourings or oh, right. colours or anything yep. like that. And I think that's because our industry grew up as a response to lazy industrial macro processes mm-hmm. and so we keep that to the core of what we do and microwave is microwave steaks <laughs> <laughs> yeah exactly so you know we, we yeah. want to be drinking good beer and i yeah. think you cheapen yourself by adding less desirable chemical or you know artificial flavorings to the process i think right. you know to be honest like i've actually gone off drinking beer I've just kind of lost interest, but I uh, my interest has just been reignited. It is absolutely fascinating. Oh, thank this you. This is so much. cool. I'm actually going to go and do some research and write a section in the blog article where people can read through this. I'm going to try and make it, I don't know, like a narrative. <laughs> the story of beer. Sounds good. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you for sharing that. Part three The Brewmaster's Choice. You offer a hub for the craft beer loving community as well. So you serve pizzas and gourmet burgers um, and this is called the brew room. Now, obviously things are going to be a little bit different starting from tomorrow, but you tell us more about the brew room and perhaps like what, what it's normally like and so forth. And then also, is it important to diversify your business in this way? So in our first ever brewery, that was more or less the size of a, lounge, uh, a large living room. It held all the brewing equipment. It had three tables that we had to pack away after the weekend. We had to physically move our bar that was made of a pallet aside to bottle and keg the beer. Everything took place in literally the little brewery. So we called it the brew room and it was a quaint mm-hmm. little place that you could only fit like 10 customers inside. Um, kind of like a micropub. Yeah, thing. like yeah. even smaller than, than okay. most <laughs> micropubs. And, yeah. um, you know, it was just in the middle of the industrial state where we are now. 
and it was just affectionately known as the brew room. This is where we brew the beer. This is the room. This is the room. <laughs> the only room. And it's like the Everything smallest brewery here. tour in the world. It's like, welcome, this is the brewery. <laughs> it's like brewery tour over. Um, and it just kind of stuck with us when we moved premises to a larger place. that The sign came with us and it was then known as the brew room. And I think... And now we call our little snug, our little bar room in the front, that's, you know, it's the low ceiling, it's the intimate yeah. space. We call that the brew room because for us, it it kind of like, and for the, our first ever customers, it brings back that almost nostalgia of that being packed into that small space with yeah. each other. It sounds horrifying yeah. now in current circumstances. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I didn't even think about it because we're currently sat at the Steam Machine Brewery, by the way, and like right at the bottom, like downstairs, there is... The the brew room, which is like, it just, I can't even describe it. There's going to be a visual article so people can see it for themselves, but it's so, so cool. It's oh, just thank like, you. yeah. Anyway, books, it's, I, I can't describe it. I know, it's, yeah. like, it's like a museum. So it is, like, it is. That's a good word for a it. A magical museum, museum with yeah. beer. <laughs> yeah, all those different You know, intimately ones. Yeah. lit and, you know, cozy, yeah. cozy seating. And it's, 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 a, it's a real magical place. Um, okay, yeah. I, I want people who step in here, here in here and everything is made from upcycled materials recycled materials oh, really? repurposed oh, yeah i think the only thing we spent money on really is um screws even paint was usually like from like secondhand shops where the paint had already been open from reclamation projects oh, and stuff. Um, this is getting better and better <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, i want people to like step into it and you know have the magic of a different room i love that transition yeah. from the outside it's just a silver... believe me it's a, it's a big transition <laughs> yeah it's just like a silver industrial unit like any other you know we've got a lovely I garden outside yeah i was just telling like you this morning i had no idea if i was at the right place or not and then you enter and it's just like wow it's and you step through this different zones and you get a different ambience from yeah, each exactly. zone i haven't even shown you the yurt yet oh, that's wow. downstairs got, got a yurt you know and that's a yeah. different zone and you know you can sit in front of the brewing equipment so it, it in in fairer times it, it really is it's it's a busy hub anyway um mm. but you know we, we have like you have a real sense of community here from the the people of the town and I think that's because the, the the town isn't that old. So more traditionally, people who are drinking here leave the town to go. They'll go to Durham or they'll go to Newcastle okay. or they'll go to Darlington. And so we've given people a home of a regular haunt for them. Yeah. And, you know, and they, they love bringing stuff for us, like bringing the treasure that you've seen around. So you know, oh, downstairs. right. Is that where it all comes from? It comes from, oh, most okay. of it comes from customers, yeah. They, I see. They, that's they cool. Yeah. come and bring stuff and then they, then they become part of the journey as yeah. well. And that's that's quite special. Oh, that's awesome. And is it important then to, to kind of keep your business diversified? So not just brewing the beer? Or do you think it's more just an added character to what you do? I, I think it, it, it's, it's grown hand in hand with us mm-hmm. from the start. And I couldn't imagine it being any other way. I mean, just from from a business point of view, you know, you like I'm not very good at chasing trade sales. I'm not a very good like salesperson. Mm-hmm. I, I don't like doing it. And yeah. and, and I've, I think about it, and it's like I could work hard to get into the books of a wholesaler down oh, south, yeah. send them a pallet of beer, and the end profit of that, I didn't, you know, and I could send loads of kegs and you know our cans that we spent a long time labeling, producing. Yeah. Um, and then I arrange the shipment of it and it all goes out. Or I could spend that time planning a, a gourmet pie and peanut and see all the best people in the world coming here for a pint yeah. of beer. And from a business point of view, make more money. But from a, a personal point of view, have far more fun 
doing that and providing people i should be doing both you know really if i was a, if i was a Nick, good business you should sleep less <laughs> eat more beans on toast <laughs> never but, buy new clothes ever ever just focus the no more hours in the day but it is it, it's it, i would say for any business you know having that direct customer mm-hmm. anything you can remove from a chain of sale so that you're dealing directly with people you command more profit but you become part of a, a journey and part of a story along with your customers and i think yeah. i think that is sus- the best for any sustainable business mm-hmm. i think that's incredible and uh, really important so if you could briefly just say if you think craft beers changed the traditional vibe of the pub in general and our drinking culture in particular i think so and I, i'm i'm not sure how much of an effect beers have but people do care more what they drink mm-hmm. these days I think that whole, um, the whole stag and hen ladette kind of culture of you know the the late nineties, early early noughties, I think has has gone. I think you know where people are, go out, they live for the weekends and they're out to have sink ten pints and mm-hmm. smoke a pack of fags and. I think it know. still exists. <laughs> it it does it exist, was, but yes. but I think I think it's it's not as prevalent as it mm-hmm. was. Yes. As and I think people do care and I think people would rather well certainly our customers would rather spend a bit more money on a better product and drink less of it and I mm, think it is about yeah. quality rather than quantity okay great and then just in general so especially now say we're at home how should we best appreciate craft beer or is there really no way to just best appreciate it just drink it yeah (laughs) the best way to appreciate is to drink it is to you know like there's a beer for all occasions and it's what kind of mood are you in you know do you want something special to share with someone do you Mm -hmm. you know do you want to support a local business do you just want something that's refreshing you know there's a beer out there for every single occasion so the best way is just to just to enjoy it and you said you're not very good at doing the whole sales thing <laughs> i just i just get bored like phoning people up phoning up pubs saying, oh, yeah, would you like to it. buy a beer ours is really nice <laughs> okay and then to finish up 2020 has been an incredibly challenging year for most businesses in fact interest in entrepreneurship has dwindled of course as a result of COVID 19 and government restrictions and we like we've mentioned uh, earlier in the episode we're about to go into a second lockdown what were the best decisions you made this year as a local business a small business not not rolling over and giving in that would have been so easy to just shut the doors and just say mm-hmm. you know what i've had enough because it's been an exhausting year it's been exhausting picking up the pieces every time legislation changes every time you know the government makes stuff up on a whim and pretend they're following the science, which as a scientist, I really resent them saying they follow the science when they don't think they even know how to spell the word. And I think, you know, things just change so fast. And I do know people who just gave up, step yeah. back. And, and, I, and I know the feeling as to why people have done that. But I think having the resilience to 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 stay up all night, to, to look at it, to, to reinvent, to redesign, to, to work around the problems, I think has been the best decision. And you know it diversifying our business we moving into this brewery which we did last year was a big operation and it was and we used to have guest street food vendors some of them were amazing but some of them were unreliable and just didn't turn up and Mm -hmm. that was frustrating to have customers come down 
yeah. to eat and then someone just didn't turn up or yeah. they'd sell out after 20 portions because that's all they bothered to make. Mm-hmm. And so that inconsistency we, we, we have stripped by producing our own kitchen. We're lucky that we have a multi-skill team. You know, We all do every aspect of the business, whether it's pallet repair, bin emptying, brewing the beer, mm-hmm. standing behind the barn serving the customers, or working in the kitchen. Like Every single member of the business works in the kitchen. Okay. Um, and two members of our team are trained chefs, um, but we all are part of that creative process in terms of offering mm-hmm. the gourmet food. And that kept us going throughout lockdown. We became Aircliff's premium pizza and barbecue really? takeaway yeah so you, you got you're still gonna do the whole takeaway thing and everything yes oh yeah. that's awesome because i was like i looked at your menu and everything online and was like oh yeah i really want to try this and somebody did recommend your pizzas by the way and then i was like oh, okay but maybe maybe i'm not going to be able oh, to try it but no I we, we're going to increase it. increase takeaway. the offering throughout yes. lockdown number two you know we're gonna okay. we started doing gourmet breakfast a couple of weekends ago yeah. and we're going to do that we you know we gourmet breakfast takeaway gourmet breakfast takeaway right. cooked on the cooks on stone baked uh, you know and it's not just going to be beans on toast no with although there will definitely be beans on that though <laughs> <laughs> and some bread um okay. you know and and offering our gourmet burgers and increasing you know yeah. we we want to look at gulan's heritage of eastern turkey and Ooh. bring back some cool. open kebabs using like yes. family recipes and you know beef kofta and stuff like that so we yeah. will be increasing the food offering and that's that becomes then a reason to come here and buy beer is mm-hmm. instead of just saying, you know what, I'll I might go there for some cans. They say, yeah, you know, I'm going for a pizza. You know what, I'm going to get a growler of that IPA mm-hmm. as well to match that pizza, and that that makes things interesting and exciting. So, and yeah. it, it it's good revenue for us, and it's a big building to justify being a food takeaway. But that we're, <laughs> we're still producing in the background. We'll still be getting ready for Christmas, and we don't know how long this lockdown is going to be. No, but you know, we we just take it in our stride and do what we can and try to keep everyone in employment everyone paid and everyone fed and with a beer in hand yes and thank you so much for taking the time to do this episode today by the way it's like, oh it's been good fun thank you very yes, much yes it's been an awesome episode and then just one last thing uh, actually two last things i love saying it's the last thing and then it's not the <laughs> last thing <laughs> <laughs> caught you out <laughs> during trying times what is the best policy then for business owners to have if you want to summarize it in one thing i would say adaptivity adapt okay. to your circumstances and be resilient think about your local community and what you can offer them to become a place in their hearts great thank you so much nick and this is the last thing it's <laughs> called round of questions quick fire questions okay. just so that Looking listeners forward to it. just so listeners can get to know you better so you can just uh, give a short answer that's fine what is the most recent film or series you watched podcast you listened to or book you read i love reading but I watched a, a German Netflix series the other week about an uh, aspect of history that I didn't know about about uh, the Roman invasion of of Germany, and it was it was oh. it was I love history, so it was good. Yeah. It was violent. It had sword fights in and fire, and you know, shield clashing, and yeah, it was good fun. Oh, sounds good. <laughs> For a second there, I thought you were going to say dark, but no. just to know because I love books, and very few of my guests actually mention books. If you would like to recommend a book, ah, right. I mean, I love dark fantasy. Okay. And my favourite author is uh, called K.J. Parker, and it's a pseudonym for an author called Tom Holt, who writes comic fantasy, but his K.J. Parker books are super dark and full of twists, and all his characters have a, a very sardonic, a very sarcastic, and and it's not, it's not about knights in shining armour. It's usually about 
an accountant or something like that in a fancy world, but they they can be quite grim, but absolutely fascinating. And his commentary on the world is so relevant to the the current political climate of the world. Right. I'm definitely going to check it out. What important truth do very few people agree with you on? That Chitty Chitty Bang Bang is better than Mary Poppins. Okay. Tell us Fact. about... Fact, right. Or we'll start a debate or something on like that. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us about the biggest challenge you have overcome in your life. Um, apologies if this goes on for longer than two minutes. Um, okay, no worries. So I did, I did very well at school. I love talking and, you know... I consider myself to be an intelligent and rounded individual and I did okay at A-level and then when I was at university I started to struggle and I didn't know how to write essays and I didn't know like and I was very disorganized and I was diagnosed with something called a neurological processing disorder that's a bit like dyslexia but mm -hmm. I'm good at spelling um, but it's just you know your brain works in different ways and mm -hmm. before knowing that I just thought that I was lazy and disorganised and I couldn't sit down to write essay and, and I did, I had to reset my final year of university and it was a dark horrible time um, doing that which is why I drank in the pub so much I was just doing research for the future yeah, Exactly, <laughs> you all let it worked out yeah, Exactly, and it, and it wasn't until I really came to terms with that and what it meant and, and adapting to that that when I did my postgraduate certificate in mm -hmm. education and was training to be a teacher that I finally realised there was ways around it because one of my hobbies is creative writing and I love writing so mm -hmm. it was a bit weird that I could write a story but not write an essay and I just yeah. think it's because I'm being lazy or yeah. you know I'm disorganised but it wasn't it was just the way I was doing things and the way I was organising my brain and it wasn't really until I was doing my PGCE and you know and I was working with other teachers and stuff like that and I realised that ah writing an essay is just telling a story and it's like yeah. why did I do that when I was writing my uh, dissertation you know and it's like all of a sudden it kind of came together and it, mm -hmm. it, it made me a better academic and if I'd known that earlier I would have done far better at university I would have yeah. engaged better with university and and I think that's the problem with with universities is that the, you, you're quite often just left to it and that only caters yeah. to, to one individual maybe it's changed now I haven't been in academia for a while but you know <laughs> it like to I it's weird to think that <clears throat> without accessing that, that I wouldn't have been able to self-teach myself about so many aspects of, of brewing science and, yeah. you know, engaging with that and writing my research down and doing online courses in, in on brewing and stuff like that. I wouldn't yeah. have been able to do that without acknowledging my brain works in that way. And everyone's brain works in different ways, but it's just mm -hmm. finding what works best for you, really. Yes. So, again, it's just the, the point about never to give up like just figure it out there there's maybe just a different way of approaching a problem or absolutely like yeah what is your favorite travel destination and why i know we're not going anywhere anytime soon but can in I, a dream world where can would i pick you go? two no just oh, one okay. i'm sorry <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm gonna put i'm gonna put um i'm gonna say turkey so gulan's family is from turkey and most british people if they think of turkey just think of awful seaside resorts mm. and it's not it's a vast country that splits two continents is on three different seas it has snow-capped mountains it has ancient memorials it has ancient greek ruins ancient mesopotamian ruins um scythian ruins you know it, it's such a diverse country mm. with a rich history and the people are so warm and welcoming the food over there is absolutely amazing and of course like the, the family connections that i have over there it's you know that there's nothing more important than sharing good food with family yeah. in a beautiful location so i think that's true if i was picking one i would have to have turkey and what's the second one uh, <laughs> i'm too curious new zealand <laughs> new zealand new zealand i absolutely love new zealand you see i would live there in a heartbeat 
the people over there are wonderful. The countryside is amazing wow. and stunning. Great. Two countries I'd really love to visit too, by the way. Yeah. And then to finish up, yes, this is the last question. What advice would you give to someone wishing to start a career in beer? <laughs> Prepare to be poor. Um, eat lots of eat beans. Eat lots of beans, yeah. Okay, on toast. <laughs> if, if you want to get into brewing, I would say get learn how to brew at home. Express yourself. Join local beer communities. Mm-hmm. Join local homebrew clubs if any exist. And try to work in a brewery. Get in a bar. Get You realise what aspect of, of beer do you love and just work at it work at it live and breathe it and you know it's not the highest paid job in the world it's not but it's being in a brewery has so many multi-skill facets to it that no day is boring certainly not in our brewery you could be doing you know production one day and then something completely different the next and and be adaptive and be personable yeah and i think you've you've definitely shown that Beer is a story in itself. Beer is a story. Great. Thanks so much for joining me one more time, Nick. And then also, can you just quickly tell us, because you've spoken about all the amazing things you do, where should listeners now go to find out more about online ordering or whatever it is, just your your story? Follow us on social media. Um, we're, we're most active on Facebook because it... it it accesses our local residents very quickly, which is Steam Machine Brewing Company. Okay. Um, go to our website and see what's available for either collection or for post. And that's the, the two things we'll be doing. We'll be shipping out our beer, unfortunately not the food, oh. uh, but we'll be shipping those out nationally and mm-hmm. we will have gourmet food and beer ready for collection as well if you're in the local area or if you're just passing by on the A1, we're just two minutes off. Sounds great. Thank you so much for listening to the show. If you enjoyed this narrative journey, please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Do leave us a rating and review on Apple as we love to hear your feedback. If you know of anyone interested in starting their own business or someone who loves beer and would like to try some new styles, share this episode with them and spread the word on the most extraordinary stories of entrepreneurship. Join me next time for more narrative journeys into creative business ideas. Time to drink some beer.